About 25 years ago here in Bridgeport, it was pretty much like a war zone. Washington Park was taken over by the drug lords on the weekends. There were drive-by shootings. The police had put barricades in the streets. We made national news. There was a young couple in North Carolina, Reverend um, Jim and Tammy Baker, um, or Jim and Tammy Watson, I'm sorry. Were, uh, they were in North Carolina too then, back then. Um, watched this on the news and they felt compelled of God to come to Bridgeport and start a rescue mission. At the same time, uh, the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions had targeted Bridgeport uh, to develop a new rescue mission. They were working at raising funds to do that. Some of those leaders came to Bridgeport and they met with several pastors here in Bridgeport. Among those pastors, they met with um, Dave McIntyre at Calvary Church and Dave DeVries at uh, Trinity and with our own, uh, our own pastor right here, Pastor Allaby. And um, Pastor Allaby and, and Pastor McIntyre both uh, had the church write large checks. One of them 10,000, one of them 8,000. The Rescue Mission Association raised another 20 or so, and then the national organization raised another 20 or 30. And, and so 25 years ago, the Bridgeport Rescue Mission started here. I came here 17 years ago, and we had uh, grown to about four, $400,000 budget and a staff of four. And we just finished our last fiscal year. Uh, $4 million income in cash and two millions in gifts and kind. And the staff now, I think, is 40 40-something, 45, 6, 7. Um, and uh, we never would have been able to do the ministry that we're doing without the faithful support of a lot of different churches and people. But Black Rock Church has played such a major role. I um, was just sitting here thinking uh, one of the first obstacles that I encountered when I came here was the rescue mission property because we'd been given the Fanny Crosby Memorial Home it came with a $442,000 tax lien. And the city had decided to tax some of the nonprofits and, uh, and the uh, mission uh, ended up with that. And uh, we negotiated a settlement with uh, the city and then uh, the mayor. And um, we settled, I think it was forty-two, forty-three $43,000. We didn't have that kind of money at all. And um, I was surprised Pastor Larry uh, came to visit uh, me at the office at the mission. I don't think he came for that reason. I'm to this day not sure why he came. <laughs> he doesn't come very often, but he, I'm always glad to see him. He served on our board uh, for a number of years, and now Pastor Dan serves on our board directors. And, and uh, we were sitting there across the desk, and I was just telling him about that. And and uh, on one hand, we were hugely relieved. Uh, you know, $442,000 turned into $42,000. I'll take those trades any day, but still $42,000, you know. And Pastor Larry said, you know, let me go back and talk to our mission board, but I think, I think BlackRock can help you take care of that. And so at strategic times in the life of the mission, BlackRock Church, this congregation, and many of you serve as volunteers, and uh, I actually, I think if the pastoral staff near 
here knew how much money some of you give as individuals, <laughs> they, they might not let me up here today to talk to you. <laughs> we couldn't be doing it without you folks. Um, the day before yesterday, my wife, Danielle, and I celebrated our 51st wedding anniversary. And uh, th thank you. Um, um, and um, I, I took her to get a new iPad. Uh, her iPad's old and it's given her trouble. And I surprised her and she didn't know where she was going. We ended up at the Apple store and I'd arranged for our, our oldest son, who's an information management guru, to meet us there because I knew I was going to need some technical assistance even for an iPad, if you can imagine. And uh, I know some of you younger people, you, you, I, you knew he was a dinosaur, right? So, uh, and uh, the young guy helping and my son, they had a little fun at my expense, you know. And uh, I discussed with them about the cloud and I verified from the experts that there is no cloud. No, there isn't. It's a bunch of servers located all over the place. Forget this cloud nonsense, you know. Call it what you will. Um, but uh, it reminded me there was a, a, a guy um, was visiting his adult daughter in her home. And uh, he said to her, he said, honey, do you have a newspaper? I need a newspaper. And, and she sort of disdainfully, you know, said, to, dad, uh, this is the 21st century. We don't read newspaper anymore. Here, use my iPad. He said he took her, her iPad. He said he thought it was a little heavy, but he said that fly never knew what hit it. Back to uh, my wife and I, uh, 50. This is a big time of the year for me, this year in particular in September. Uh, not only 51st wedding anniversary, but uh, I'm celebrating, uh, this is 50 years in, in Christian ministry. And um, I go back to, and I also have a birthday in this month. So, and, and then in October, the Rescue Mission celebrates our 25th anniversary with a big an uh, banquet on the um, 4th of October. I hope many of you will come. It's going to be a very unusual evening. There's information on the table in the back. But um, Andy Stanley's excellent book, The Path, he says that we will move in the direction of what captures our attention. Well, I remember sitting in my high school geometry class in 1962 when Daniil who was a transfer student, was escorted into the room and she walked across the front of that classroom and captured my attention. I began to move in her direction. Her father was a pastor, having started a new church not too far from where I lived. And she was a Christian which caused some interesting issues for dating because, you know, that was, she was in a church where, I don't know if you ever heard this, but I, 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 I don't smoke, I don't dance, I don't chew, nor go with girls that do. Well, try, try to date a girl who didn't go to the movies and didn't go to the dances and on and on. So it, that change in direction confronted me with Jesus. And that resulted in me receiving Jesus as my savior, going off to a Christian college, to Asbury College in Kentucky, and, 
and then saying yes to God's call to full-time ministry for the past 50 years. Now, I, I talked to you about what captures your attention because my hope and my prayer this morning is that this short story of Jesus and a blind man named Bartimaeus will capture your attention and thus direct you towards intentional involvement with the poor, with the poor blind beggars in your world. I'm not directing your attention to loving the poor. My purpose is for you to see God's mercy. Mercy is love in action. I want to talk to you about you extending mercy to the poor. Now, according to a recent study by Microsoft researchers, our average attention span is now down to eight seconds. Now, that's down from 12 seconds in the year 2000. And if that's not bad enough, that's one second less than the attention span of goldfish. <laughs> Therefore, both you and I have a challenge this morning to concentrate on this story from God's word. In Luke chapter 6, 36, Jesus tells his disciples, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Mercy is love in action. Jesus demonstrated mercy time after time. He shows us mercy and he asks us to turn around and show mercy to others. In Tim Keller's wonderful book, Ministries of Mercy, he writes this, grace has to do with man's merits, but mercy has to do with man's misery. Theologians have discerned that God's mercy is that aspect of his nature which moves him to relieve suffering and misery. We've had some hot, humid nights this summer. We finally got a little break. I don't know about you, but I appreciate that. I don't like hot, humid weather. And I would lay in my bed at night, and I would thank God every night that I have an air-conditioned bedroom. I suspect that most, if not all of you do. But as I would lay there in my bed at night, I'm also mindful of the fact that there were children and men and women every one of those nights in the rooms at the Bridgeport Rescue Mission with only fans for relief because the, old, the electrical wiring in our old buildings won't support air conditioning. And I point that up just to say this. You don't stay in a shelter unless you're desperate. You don't bring your children to a soup kitchen if you have other choices. You don't come down to the Bridgeport Rescue Mission and wait in a long line to go through and get some produce and get some canned goods with your children in tow, like hundreds of people do every week, every weekday at the mission unless you need mercy. I'm telling you that within just a few miles of this wonderful, comfortable building, there are a lot of desperate people. And I want them to capture your attention like Bartimaeus 
captured the attention of Jesus. And then to change your schedule the way Jesus changed his schedule when he stopped for a time on his way to Calvary. Now, the scripture for this morning is from the 10th chapter of Mark. And it starts out before the story. We were going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. I wanted you to have the context of this story. Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And in about a week's time, he will be crucified. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and that takes him through the crossroads city of Jericho. Jericho, they tell us, is the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. There's a great, hot, or great uh, freshwater springs there, and the Jordan River runs nearby, and the trade routes for centuries pass through there. Jesus had been there several times, several times with the disciples, but this was the last time because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's 18 miles away. It's 3,320 feet higher in elevation. The road's all uphill, and he's passing through Jericho. Now, while he was on earth, Jesus revealed God the Father to us. And there's many things we can say about his life and his ministry. But the number one thing, the number one reason Jesus came, God became flesh, was in order to die on the cross of Calvary and pay our sin debt. So bear in mind, he's surrounded by his disciples, the most important group of men in his life. And he's on his way to fulfill his destiny. About a week away, 18 miles. That's a little bit about the time and the place. Let's think about the people for a minute. It says a large crowd. Use your imagination. All kinds of people. Rich people, poor people. People of importance. People with no importance. Young people, old people. He's famous. He's at the epitome of his notoriety. For three years, the stories of miracle after miracle, even the dead being raised, have circulated throughout the land. And so he's coming through Jericho and a large crowd of people. Bear in mind, his disciples are with him. And there's a blind man named Bartimaeus who's sitting by the roadside begging. And he cries out, Jesus, thou son of David. Actually, the scripture says he shouts, Jesus, thou son of David. It's an annoying thing to everybody else. He's interrupting 
the proceedings. This term, thou son of David, would have been understood by the Jews there that day. Maybe not so much you and me. That terminology was in reference to the Messiah. The Jewish people had lived for for centuries with the scriptures telling them that one day a rescuer, a savior, a Messiah would come. For three years, Bartimaeus, probably one of the best, most well-informed citizens of the city, because he had nothing to do all day long but sit at the roadside and beg and listen to all the news. For three years, he's been hearing about Jesus. Can you imagine a Jewish man who grew up with these promises of a Messiah and he's listening to story after story after story about a Jewish rabbi who's healing people and raising the dead. My contention to you is that Bartimaeus was already a man of faith. He had already decided that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah. And thus, when he heard that it was Jesus, that's when he began to shout, Thou Son of David. He recognized Christ as the Savior. Now, he was a poor man. Uh, he, he, He existed off of the handouts of others. Oftentimes, running a rescue mission and interacting with other people, people sometimes will be bold enough to ask, why do you think people are poor? You make judgments all the time as you drive by somebody begging on the street. You get on some of the freeway ramps right here in our community, and there'll be people with signs. Well, the scripture recognizes that poverty, um, I think, can be summarized in three sources, if you will. First of all, poverty due to negligence. Scripture recognizes that poverty is sometimes due to individual irresponsibility. Proverbs 13, 18, poverty poverty and shame come to him who neglects discipline. Proverbs 19, 15, laziness casts into deep sleep and an idle man will suffer hunger. This is why us parents work so hard to teach our children the importance of getting an education, of being responsible, of persevering. We don't want them to live in poverty. Sometimes we don't want them to live in poverty because we think that we'll have to support them all their life. Sometimes we'd like to see them really do well because we hope that as we get older, they might help us. We know we don't want them in poverty. And irresponsibility and bad decisions results in poverty. No question about it. There's another source of poverty, and that's due to unavoidable circumstances. Scriptures also recognize that poverty may exist due to the circumstances that are unavoidable and over which an individual has no control. You and I have been watching the news from the Carolinas and the horrible storm that's been there. And people have been watching their homes float away and their goods destroyed by, the, by all the water and the wind. And I'm sure 
There's a lot of people there that don't have it all covered with insurance and don't have resources stashed away in a bank somewhere. And poverty comes out of that. This is what drove the Israelites to Egypt. When Abram sent his kids over to Egypt because there was, a poverty, there was poverty everywhere because of a drought. And they went there for food. War. War. Can, the ravages and the impoverishment that comes from war. Look at what's going on in Syria today. Just, just one example. Syria, Afghanistan. These you know, we see the bombs and we see the planes and all the discussions and all the arguments, but just think about the people who lose everything and they're, they're living in poverty because, because of sin, because of decisions that were made by other people that they had nothing to do with. They're the victims, if you will. But you know, the scriptures recognize that but most of the scriptures that deal with poverty deal with poverty due to the oppression and the injustice. Scripture recognizes individual responsibility and unavoidable circumstances without a doubt. But the biblical laws, the instructions from the scriptures, the provision of God for the poor, they focus on the theme of oppression and injustice as the primary cause of poverty and the primary concern of the biblical authors. The Old Testament has a rich collection of words that refer to oppressive treatment of the poor and the weak. And collectively, they convey the idea of squeezing, forcing into submission, inflicting pain upon someone, treating others with violence and trampling and crushing other human beings. The Old Testament writers saw oppression and malicious treatment and taking advantage of and exploiting and defrauding the weak members of society as the major cause of poverty. John Stott states the fact clearly this way, and I quote, it is abundantly clear from this evidence that the biblical writers saw the poor not only as destitute people whose condition must be relieved, but as the victims of social injustice whose cause must be championed. If the people of God aren't going to champion that, who is? Jeremiah 21:12 administer justice every morning and deliver the person who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And Deuteronomy 27.19, cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow. Bartimaeus was blind, and he was poor. And he lived at a time in history when begging was the only means of support that he had. Now look at the crowd's reaction in verse 47. You see what it says there? They, they, they told him to be quiet. Now, when you read that in an English translation, you don't get the full meaning. 
In the Greek, it's a rather harsh term. The King James says they charged him. How many of you here have raised teenagers? Yeah, you've been there. One more time. One more time, you're going to go live with your grandfather. One more time, you're going to military school. It was that kind of harsh, I've had it, be quiet. That didn't quiet him. It says he cried the more a great deal. They no sooner got done telling him to be quiet than he's shouting louder. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What would drive him? What would drive him to go against the crowd? You remember he's a Jewish man. He knows the scriptures. He's decided that Jesus Christ is in fact the Messiah. He's heard about the miracles. And you know what else he knew as a Jewish man? He knew Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then, speaking about the time the Messiah comes, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. You understand why he wouldn't shut up? This was his one shot. This was his lifelong dream. So he wouldn't be quiet. Now look at verse 49. I love verse 49. I've underlined it. I've highlighted it in every Bible I've got. I think it's one of the most precious scriptures in all of God's word. Do you see where it says, Jesus stopped. Here's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his number one priority, dying on the cross 18 miles down the road. He's not even stopping in Jericho for this great crowd because he's got to get to Jerusalem. And this blind beggar who's never given anything to his community cries out, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the son of God on his way to Jerusalem stops. I love that verse of scripture because it tells me that if Jesus Christ would stop for Bartimaeus, he'll stop for Terry Wilcox. And if he'll stop for me, he'll stop for you and for you and for you. When we in faith humbly cry out and ask for mercy. There's so many things here I would like to explore with you, but the clock, clock keeps ticking and you know, it's a great honor to preach here. I can't tell you what a privilege this is. But this is a tight schedule for preachers. (laughs) 
I told Pastor Steve this morning, I said, I don't know how you do that week after week. So, Bart's request. I want to see. And Jesus heals him. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He put his faith in him and he asked for mercy. You do that and God will meet your need too. The formula is no more complicated than that. Now, when Pastor Larry asked me several weeks ago if I would preach this Sunday, he gave me a topic. Now, I just want to confess to you that there's a lot of us preachers that don't like it when other people give us a topic. (laughs) We feel like it constrains us. And we want to be free to listen to the Spirit of God. Now, that's the holy uh, explanation. It also means that I've got to reply more disciplined to try and answer this question. And he gave me this question. He said, I'd, I'd like you, to, I'd like you to, to tell people why they should care about the poor. Well, I played with that, and I I said yes to him immediately because, frankly, I I wanted to be able to preach here, and I knew, you know, if I gave him too much trouble, he'd move on to someone else because uh, our church, we've got several outstanding Bible communities, pastors, preachers in our church. I I liked it better when there were just a few because then I could get more shots at this. But we, we got several, so I know he didn't have to stick with me. So I said, yeah, sure, I can do that. But I, I've turned it around because I, I frankly, I think it's the wrong question. The question is not why should you, the question is why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you show mercy to the poor? I mean, does the spirit of Jesus live within you? If you are what we call a born-again Christian, it's because you've invited Christ into your life. And you see from the example of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem that he stops and gives mercy to a blind beggar. And you and me, we have the same spirit within us. Then the question is, Not why should we. The question is, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we demonstrate God's love for the poor by our own acts of mercy? You know, I love to talk about grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We, we call grace, we take the, you know, the, the, the word and grace, rich, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a great theme. But mercy, mercy is not getting what we deserve. People, we look at other people and we think, they don't deserve my time. They don't deserve my effort. I don't think they're even trying to help themselves. But Christians move beyond that. Christians give Mercy because Christ is within them and Christ gives mercy. Christ demonstrates not only grace, but he 
demonstrates mercy time and time again, and he does it through every one of his stories. Mercy is messy. We saw the video about Hope Line and, and what a wonderful story. And, but I guarantee you there's messy times. There's a lot of tear. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of pain. I would love to tell you about all the work that the rescue mission does. But what I'd really love to tell you is about the work of the 46 people who serve there and the pain and the messiness that they experience day in and day out. The only thing that makes it possible is the spirit of Christ within them. So why wouldn't you show mercy to the poor? If his spirit is within you, why wouldn't you demonstrate God's grace and God's mercy to the poor. I close with this. The apostle Paul ministered outside of the Jerusalem area. He was like a missionary planting churches around the Mediterranean. And the headquarters of the church, if you will, was in Jerusalem. And he visited there a couple of times and communicated with them. In Galatians 2.10 he got some instruction, more endorsement of his ministry from the Christian fathers of the church, if you will. And in Galatians 2.10, he says this, all they ask was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All they ask was that we should continue to remember the poor. Bow your heads with me, please. Father God, we are so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ and for what he did for each of us on the cross of Calvary and how he secured for us the blessed hope of eternity when he resurrected from the dead. But this morning, Lord God, I pray that Jesus' demonstration of mercy would capture our attention, that we might move in the direction of extending your mercy to those who are in such desperate needs. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Thank you, Terry, for a great answer to a bad question. And I want to invite you to take out the little pamphlet that we've given you. We've just heard from two of our ministries. These are our local partners that we're involved in. And we have just a very short video that will introduce uh, very quickly the other ministries, and then I'm going to ask for two more minutes of your time. But let's watch this video first.
14 local ministries that we are involved in. Many of you are already involved in these, one of these ministries. You notice that we've given you a short write-up on each of those ministries, and then we've also, to the left bottom part of each of the ministries, we've given you maybe some ministry opportunities that you can be involved in. And then we've also indicated a, a one day of ministry that we're going to have on October 6th. So what I'd like to, to do at this point is to consider very strongly becoming a ministry partner with our, one of our local ministry partners. And what we mean by you becoming a local ministry partner it involves three things. First of all, that you're interested in getting more information about that particular ministry. Second, that you'll pray for that ministry. And third, that in the next nine months, you will consider seriously the opportunity of volunteering at least one uh, ministry, one part of their ministry in the next nine months. Now, to be a ministry partner, we're going to ask that you stop by the desk or the, the display in the Welcome Center and that you just uh, give us your name and email and we'll contact you concerning the details of this. And now in order for us to do this, we have uh, um, 14 ministries. We're asking you to have 20 people involved in each of the ministries. It means, means we need 240 people. So I'm going to ask you very quickly to do something very non-New Englandy. And I want you to look to, the, to your right and identify, kind of look at uh, eye contact with two people on your right. Go ahead. You can do that this morning. Come on. Okay, now. Okay, now turn to your left and do the same thing as somebody on your left. Okay, you've looked at about five people, maybe more than that. But my challenge to you is two out of those five people need to volunteer this morning to be a ministry partner. So you might want to, following the service, identify those five people and say, which two of us are going to walk out here and sign up today? And uh, we believe in your, it's important that you and I be involved in those ministries because not only are we helping the poor and the people that are exploited, and the people who are just going through a hard time, but it also will refresh our own souls. So I want to encourage you to sign up to be a ministry partner. Stop by the um, tables out there and do that this morning. Would you stand with me as we close with prayer? We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.